If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is the first time tuning into the show, welcome. I hope everyone is ready for another long weekend. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we are going to have another hot weekend here in St. Louis, Missouri, but definitely enjoying it because before we know it, we are going to be down in the cold weather again. So um, welcome to another episode of Ant Security for All. Again, if you are new to the show, please go check out our past um, speakers that we've had. You can catch our show in any place that you like to listen to your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Again, wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Today, I'm super excited about our talk, something a little different than what we've been doing since I've even started this show. We are going to talk about an individual who was responsible for one of the most significant leaks in U.S. political history, which was Edward Snowden. At the time, he was a 29-year-old formal technic former technical assistant for the CIA and a current employee of the defense contractor, Booz Allen Hamilton. Snowden has been working for the National Security Agency for the past four years as an the past four years back then as an employee of various outside contractors, including Booz Hamilton, Dell. Now today he's 38 years old and we're going to talk about what happened. Today I have Stephen Bay. He is a cybersecurity operations director lead at Kodolsky Security. He has 20 years in cybersecurity. His career has spanned government enterprise and consulting services. For much of his career, he served as an analyst supporting the NSA via the U.S. Air Force and federal contracting. During this time, he served actually as Edward Snowden's boss just prior to Snowden's flight from the United States. Following this time, following his uh, time supporting the agency, he designed and implemented information security programs for Fortune 500 companies, served as the CISO and provided extensive cybersecurity consulting service. Um, he holds an MBA from Thunderbird School of Global Management. And I am super excited that he's here today. He was at our show, our very first live show that we've had in 2021 in Dallas. And he talked about Edward Snowden, the ultimate insider threat. So let's welcome um, Stephen to the show. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks, Kim. Thrilled to be here and uh, appreciate the invite. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, we, we don't get people on the show too often that would um, have such uh, credentials as being uh, Edward Snowden's boss. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that's a credential, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's definitely something different. So sure. super, you know, lots of, especially with the younger generation today, there's a lot of people that have no idea who Edward yeah. Snowden is and what he did and how that came about. But why don't you just, let's just start with a little bit. I've talked about your career history, but tell us what that looked like back when he was working for you and what that scenario was like. 
Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned with the younger people, I speak at universities fairly often and, and my dad teaches at one and I've, I've taught, spoken in his classes and I find a lot of the, the undergrads have no idea. You know, they were 10, 11, 12, 13 when, when everything went down with Snowden. And so uh, it's great to be able to continue to, to share the message and, and talk about it. So um, just brief background, I mean, you touched on it. Snowden had been, uh, his, most of his, throughout his career, been supporting the National Security Agency, been supporting the CIA. Um, he was a systems administrator up until the time that I hired him. So he was running um, IT systems and helping troubleshoot problems within the environments uh, with which he worked. And so that's one of the interesting misnomers, I think, or misunderstandings people have, is that Ed wasn't a, an intelligence analyst um, for a vast majority of his career. In fact, um, it's, it's interesting. When I met Snowden, um, I met him in late January, early February of 2013, which was only about, oh, six months or so. Um, no, I mean, six, like four or five months before he fled the country with and, and ended up doing what he did. And we didn't hire him until April 1st. And so it was about a month and three weeks from the time he hired with us to the time that he um, departed and headed for Hong Kong in which he was employed by us. And that was the only period of time in his career where he was an intelligence analyst. And so it was an interesting, um, just one of those kind of interesting misnomers that's out there is that he was you know, a lifelong intelligence operative or analyst when really it was a month and a half. But yeah, I met him um, about that time. And, um, you know, I was looking for somebody who was a, who had the security clearance we needed, who was already working in the agency, had really strong technical background with cybersecurity, internet technologies, et cetera, as well as um, someone who had had experience in intelligence analysis. And as I mentioned, he didn't have that experience, but he kind of demonstrated through the interview process that he, he had an analytical mind. He was able to put two and two together and really support things. And so um, we felt comfortable based upon his vast technical expertise, bringing him onto our team. Right. So that was kind of the conditions we were looking at working in Hawaii, trying to find kind of this um, ideal technical solution that could come in and be. Uh, an analyst and provide cybersecurity um, analysis support to the agency. And he kind of checked most of the boxes, certainly among anybody we interviewed. And that re that justified for us bringing him onto the team. So what was he, when you hired him and you brought him onto the team, what was his job position? If I right. don't know how much security, you know, I know there, <laughs> there are some things you probably can't talk about, but right. what was his day-to-day -day duties? Yeah, so before he came to my team, he was still working at NSA um, in Hawaii. He was a contractor working for Dell. I think it was either Dell Technologies or one of their um, subsidiaries or, or on a contract that Dell had. And so, um, you know, I actually, I, he got referred to me from one of my employees. My employees had a, had a technical issue. He provided some technical support to her and they got to chatting. And uh, my understanding is that he ultimately gave her his resume and she passed it on to me and that's that's how we got going now when he came join my team his role was as an intelligence analyst working uh in, in the cyber domain right so and i can't get too much into what his day-to-day -day was or the specific missions he was working on but suffice it to say he was he was essentially analyzing cyber threats across the globe and, and intrusions that are affecting the u.s government and performing analysis on that. And so when we did the interview and when I, when I chatted with him and we kind of vetted him out, um, it was clear that he had the, the technical chops needed to do the job, right? He understood network technologies, understood the internet, um, as evidenced by his stated motivation for doing what he did. 
he um, he had a, a strong knowledge of internet anonymization um, technologies like Tor, etc., that allowed him to uh, you know allow you to kind of hide on the internet, um, and and a lot all of those things that this vast understanding of the internet and these and similar technologies, and he also was able to demonstrate an understanding of the cyber, existing cyber threats. Right, who were the threats out there across the globe that were the biggest threats from a cyber point of view to the US government and to the to businesses and our interests, right? And as he was able to demonstrate that, that gave us the confidence to bring him on. And that's the kind of analysis he did. Um, it was working in the cyber shop and tracking um, cyber events and trying to figure out who did what and, uh, and who was behind it and how do we prevent them in the future, et cetera. So when did you, for those of the, for those of our listeners out there that have no idea about this story, like kind of take us on a timeline. And sure. and before we even get to that, like what was his personality like? Was he a quiet guy? Most analysts, I feel like, are generally typically an introverted kind of quiet yeah. person. Is that what you would describe him as? Uh, not too much. I mean, I wouldn't say he was an extrovert or an introvert per se. Um, I would say probably more of an introvert. I mean, there's this kind of this uh, stereotype at NSA that it's, it's full of a bunch of uh, really smart math people and, and folks who kind of walk around with their head down and hope not to ever socialize with people. But, you know, people like myself and, and Ed, to some extent, kind of broke that mold. Um, Ed came across as a very intelligent guy. He and I got along really well. Um, you know, I, I, I was his both his boss as well as uh, we kind of, our whole team worked in disparate offices in the facility and we worked probably the closest together of anybody. So we chatted quite a bit and um, he was nice, uh, got along well. He hit the team that he worked on, seemed to like him. He was providing some technical training to some of the junior military folks on the team, you know, but the, the only negative character trait that really kind of conveyed itself very strongly was um, his er a bit of arrogance and to some extent narcissism, which ultimately I think just shown very heavily kind of in the post um, event um, circumstance. But, um, but that, you know, he, he was confident in what he, what he did. He, he kind of viewed himself as the smartest guy in the room. And, um, uh, and that was conveyed very heavily in, in the way we interacted. Um, it wasn't a big problem for me. Um, some people might've been an issue for, but and that was kind of the only negative. But when you're in an environment with really smart people, you tend to get those kind of personalities. So ultimately I didn't have a whole lot of negative to say about Ed when he was my employee before I knew everything that went down. Um, you know, just kind of a regular guy who was really smart in technology and knew it. And it, you know, and, uh, he wasn't afraid to let you know that he knew it. <laughs> So now let's just kind of start paving yep. the way of what happened and and when sure. when people became aware of what was going on and just kind of take us down that trail of his whole story. Yeah, happy to. So as I so as I mentioned, Ed started with us around April first of twenty thirteen, right? And he actually spent the first two weeks of his time there um, with us in Maryland getting trained. So he didn't actually join my team until about April fourteenth, fifteenth timeframe. And uh, he ended up departing the country, just to give you some context, um, and fled to Hong Kong on May 20th. So that's it's just, just over a month by which I really had a chance to get to know him and work with him, et cetera. Um, so, <laughs> excuse me, I apologize. He um, kind of, ultimately, he got into work, did a good job. The, the customer, our, our clients were generally happy with what he was doing. Um, and then... You know, probably about a week and a half, two weeks after, right around the beginning of May timeframe of hiring, um, he came to my desk and he began his 
his escape plan, right? He began his story, which was essentially using epilepsy, which I, he claimed to have, which I don't know if he really does or does not have epilepsy. Um, but he came to me and said, hey, Steve, I've got epilepsy. Um, and I've had it under control for a long time. But unfortunately, over the last few months, uh, it's really been flaring up and it's getting worse. And I really don't understand why. And so I've got some doctor's appointments scheduled. I'm going to miss work or be late for work occasionally. Um, I'll try to limit it, but it's really starting to affect me and the doctors are kind of worried, right? So, you know, me being the manager and trying to be supportive, you know, I, I gave him my support, you know, take all, you know, let's get you healthy. I'm sorry to hear that, but you know, I've got, you've got, I've got your back and we'll help you through this and willing to support you through it. And so <laughs> Ed, what, what Ed was doing here was he was beginning to lay that groundwork, as I mentioned, for his escape, right? It, and, and, and for also downloading data. Right. You go look at the investigative report and I'm just kind of interjecting here some lessons we learned from what Snowden did. Um, we learned from the report that he had started planning this event as early as summer of 2012, if not earlier. Right. Which was well before I hired him. But it was but most of the data he gathered was actually in that one month period in which he was employed by me and our team. And so it turns out what he was doing was by by having medical appointments scheduled at say let's say 9 a.m. It allowed him to postpone coming into work until 10 till noon or maybe one, and then he still needed to get a full day of work in. And like any other workspace, um, parts of the facility, particularly where he was at, uh, was a ghost town by 5:30 or 6 p.m., which gave him a couple of hours for him to be able to download um, all the data he needed and access things that he wouldn't otherwise access right so he was able this uh, this gave him that freedom to do that on top of that um you know nsa has essentially a policy like much of the military and government that says thou shalt not use thumb drive right and you can't plug them in and and do those sorts of things and we'd all known that had he been in the, in the environment we worked in we weren't in these big cubicles we weren't in offices it was kind of an open information sharing type environment had he plugged a thumb drive into his computer in the middle of the work day people were going to would have noticed and it would have started asking questions about it so again him being able to have a couple of hours each night or whatever nights he was <laughs> he had medical appointments um gave him the opportunity not only to download data, but to plug that thumb drive in, violate security policy, and um, um, and start taking the data, right? So what this ultimately led to is as over the next three or four weeks, the epilepsy apparently got worse and worse. And he, he stressed to me that, look, it's not the kind of epilepsy where I'm going to drop down in seizures or anything. It's not going to be heavily noticeable. It's more of an epilepsy where I just kind of black out. If I'm sitting at my desk or in a car or on my couch or something, I just kind of black out. And I zone out for a while. Um, and I think, again, I don't know if he actually had it, but this is probably how he was able to get around the fact any questions of, well, hey, we're not noticing any epileptic episodes. So how can this be? Right. But so a couple of weeks later, we're mid-May, around May 18th time frame. It's a Friday. He comes to my desk again and he says, hey, Steve, um, as I, you know, you know, I've got this epilepsy thing going on. Uh, the doctors don't understand it. They're not sure why it's flaring up so bad, but they want me to come in all day Monday and Tuesday of next week for tests. Um, and if those tests go bad, they're not going to let me work because I can't drive or anything. And so I'm going to have to take some time off of work. And again, I give him my support and, uh, and say, hey, you know, just in case you do have to take leave, let's get in touch. Why don't you get in touch with HR? Let's get you on short term disability and start working that process through. And this is the only kind of weird thing that kind of made me scratch my head a little bit, but not enough for me to make this logical leap from. Were you guys in Hawaii or were you in Hong yeah. Kong? Okay. No, so we were he, in Hawaii. Right? He was not yeah. in Hong Kong yet. No, okay. not yet. He was, he okay. was actually flying out two days later. Yeah. Okay. But you were you 
and you'll get to that, but when he was leaving, go ahead. I'm going to let you finish because I'm jumping okay. the, the gun. So go ahead. Yeah, so no he, worries. So, he, so, so he starts to go to HR. and then, Yeah. So, well, okay. he, he, probably, he, this, this is, he refuses this, right? So he doesn't want to go on short-term disability. He's like, look, I've got a lot of money saved. I, uh, I, I'm just going to go on leave without pay. It's too much of a hassle on the headache. And I was like, okay, I guess that's all right. Um, but again, I didn't think anything of it more than just uh, that's kind of weird. I mean, why not take the, what you're, what you're owed as an employee benefit. Right. So a couple days later, Tuesday night, the 22nd, I get an email from him and it says, Hey Steve, test went bad. I've got the, the I, I'm gonna have to take a couple weeks off work. I'll let you know when I'm going to come back in. I give him my support, you know, please let's get in touch with HR, um, get you taken care of the next night, Wednesday, he emails me and says, um, thanks Steve. I appreciate all your support. And I'll get in touch with HR, talk to you later, something like that. Well, it turns out at this point, he would already flown to Hong Kong. I had no idea, right? So he had flown out to Hong Kong on the Sunday, the couple of days before. And now at this point, he's just kind of wrapping up the loose ends, right? He's tying things off. And what, and what he did, right, is, is a really smart strategy on his part was he gave, gave him a few weeks to be able to disappear without anybody being the wiser, right? Because if you, at, at a place like NSA or CIA or whatnot, where you're dealing with top secret information, you can't just not show up for work, right? If you, if you just don't show up and don't let your boss or anybody know, they're going to call security and security is going to come out and look for you and hunt you down. But by him going on medical leave, um, and us knowing about it and his leadership knowing about it, we all expected it. it was on our calendars and it was planned. This allowed him to to depart and have no one hunting him down for a period of time. And in fact, it took us two weeks to inform security um, <clears throat> that he wasn't responding to anything because we thought, you know, he was just on medical leave and who knows what, you know, we didn't, there's really no reason for a security concern for the first couple of weeks. So, um, and over that period, you know, I'm calling him, I'm checking in on him, I'm trying to get him to update his, his timesheet or, um, get in touch with HR or whatever it is. And he's just not responding, right? It's crickets. And, um, and so I contacted my boss two weeks later and said, Hey, um, Ed's not responding to anything. I'm worried about him. I'm worried about his health. I'm, and, and also I'm not sure what to do at this point, right? I, if he's not responding, I don't know if this is a security concern or what the next step is. And so my boss, we talked through it and he ended up calling NSA and saying, Hey, we've got a guy on medical leave, but he's essentially disappeared. Um, we haven't been able to get in touch with him for a couple of weeks just want to let you know, right? And that was on a Friday, I think it was. So Monday morning back in Hawaii, my boss was in Georgia. Back in Hawaii, he, uh, I, I get a call Monday morning uh, from NSA security and they said, hey, Steve, we hear you've got a guy who's missing, he's on medical leave. We don't normally get involved in medical issues, medical leave type issues, but you know, we're a close knit family here in Hawaii and you know, we want, we're gonna help you look for him, right? So I was grateful for the help and for their interest. I didn't think anything of it. Now, I think they may have known a lot more than I knew at the time that, they, that something didn't quite add up. But I spent much of that next week um, driving around Oahu looking for Ed and calling him. Call, I tried calling his girlfriend, went to his house, tried uh, people that were in his friend network that worked at the agency, told us places he'd hang out. So we went and checked there, um, but, and it was just crickets. Um, couldn't find him anywhere. <laughs> but even then I didn't think anything of it. You know, I didn't think anything negative in terms of him taking top secret documents and fleeing to Hong Kong. What I took it as was, um, or what I figured had happened was either a, he had flown back to Maryland to be with his family and just went off the grid, right. To get better, which is what I figured it happened. Um, or the worst case scenario in my mind was maybe he ignored doctor's orders and decided to go on a, be a drive along the beach and had an episode and drove off a cliff. 
everything right. And that's what I was really scared of was his physical safety and health. So middle of that week is when the big news dropped, right? We have the first NSA leaks. And so those NSA leaks hit Wednesday or Thursday of that week, uh, talking about various programs that NSA had to collect data off of technologies that were U.S.-based companies. Um, with the implication and Snowden's help, later we learned it was Snowden, um, <laughs> saying that, hey, NSA is using these tools to spy on Americans. Well, all of this sends shockwaves through all of us at NSA, right? And so for the next, and then two more news articles drop from leaks and we're like, how is this happening? And who's behind this? In fact, on Saturday of that week, the first week of June of 2013, I was hanging out with a friend of mine and I had been, I'd actually been out of work the whole week. I, I was on leave that week, my wife was out of town. So I wasn't actually in the office. And my, my best friend there in Hawaii, who also happened to work with me and our desk touched, um, we started chatting at, um, when we were hanging out and he was like, and I was telling him all about my week and looking for Ed and how he's disappeared and I'm worried about him. And he said, Hey Steve, wouldn't it be crazy if Ed were the guy leaking all this stuff? And I, I kind of laughed and I said, Oh man, that would, there's first, there's no way, there's no wow. way Ed would be behind that. Right. But man, if he did, it would be my absolute worst nightmare. Well, just coincidentally, it so happened the very next morning, Sunday morning, um, Ed reveals himself to the world and I come out of a church meeting and see this and, um, open up my phone and I I'd had my phone off for a period of time and my phone had blown up with missed phone calls, text messages, et cetera. And it just so happens that the first text that I see happened to be from my buddy from the day before who said, Hey Steve, something like, Hey Steve, it's sorry, man. It looks like your worst nightmare came true. And I knew exactly what he meant. And the world comes crashing down around me and it, it, it kind of evolves into to crisis management mode, right? And, and how do you respond and um, the aftermath and those sorts of things. So what immediately happened to you before we continue on with his story? I mean, what kind of ramifications <laughs> right. did you, were you responsible for? Right. So I was, um, I was expecting to take the heat, right? Like I, I figured I was the guy that hired him to the company. I was existing boss. I'm going to be the fall guy. And I think to some extent I was, um, but it, it wasn't as bad as I thought, you know, that night, the night that news happened, I got a call from that afternoon, um, from NSA security saying, Hey, we want to visit with you, meet you down at the FBI offices in Capitol. And so I drove down there and I ended up getting interviewed by at the FBI and NSA. And I expected driving down, you know, just because I've seen the movies and I'd never gone through anything negative like this before. Right. So I expected it to be like this massive interrogation and a lot of accusation throwing. And I also expected just because uh, from observations and past circumstances that there are going to be very powerful people that want to throw somebody under the bus to blame. Right. They can't get Snowden because he's in Hong Kong. So who else can we get? Well, that interview that I had with the FBI while long and a lot of questions and stressful was surprisingly relaxed and and not bad at all and so the next day i then go into the office right and uh, oh and my company by the way is i talked to my leadership and up to the ceo of booz allen um they kind of they, they kind of reassured me that look we this he was a, he already had a security clearance we don't you know we know you weren't involved you know we got your back and and admittedly booz allen was fantastic through all of it despite the fact i almost lost my job for justifiable reasons just of not being billable right when you're a contractor you have to be utilized um they they were really supportive and gave me a lot of leeway which i really appreciated so anyway um the aftermath ended up being 
I went into the office the next day, wildly awkward, talked with all of the leadership that I had relationships with that were affected by it, ended up having a conversation with the director of NSA Hawaii, um, who was an admiral. And he kind of put it really well for me. He said, you know, Steve, he was planning this for a long time. And you just got caught holding the hot potato when time ran out, right? I mean, he was going to do this regardless of whether you, you were his boss or not. So for the next month and a half or so, everything was... I don't want to say hunky-dory. That makes it sounds like things were great, right? It was stressful and it was mind-blowing and it was, you know, my team was kind of blown away by it and there was a lot of uncertainty. Um, but ultimately I, ultimately, I ended up losing my access to the agency. As they were doing the investigation, there was one interaction I had with Ed that was a security violation and I can't really get the details on that. But, uh, you know, as I talked with security about it, they're like, look, in, in normal circumstances, this would be a talking to a bit of a warning to, hey, just be more careful next time. It's really not that big of a deal. But considering the sensitivities around Snowden, we have to temporarily suspend your your access to the agency and do a full investigation. And because I was a contractor um, and I need to be utilized, I saw the writing on the wall. I was probably never getting back in. Right. And so that's when I, I left um, the agency and, and I haven't worked in, in a cleared environment aside from a little bit with the Navy Reserves since. So. So in the meantime, Snowden's in Hong Kong still yep. in like a hotel room. Is this, a, yep. you know, so what, so then what transpired then? So he leaks all this information and then what was happening to him once? Right. So with Ed, <laughs> Ed was started out the thing, the first month or so he was in Hong Kong and he was being interviewed and you can, all this is documented in the various videos and documentaries mm -hmm. that are out there. And he was very paranoid, of course, right? He was, covering his himself and his computer when he's typing in passwords, etc. Um, but for him, it, it became a struggle to try to figure out how do I not get caught by CIA or an ally of the United States, right? What he didn't want to do was return back to the US because he knew he'd be he'd have to face justice. And um, whether one thing, whether one believes he was a patriot and a hero or a traitor, it's kind of irrelevant at this point. And it probably still is a little bit today. The fact of the matter is, he broke the law significantly and we can get into the details on that and the nuances of that. And that's one of the things lacking from a lot of conversations about Snowden is this nuance. Right. But, um, ultimately he ends up, um, flying to, to Moscow to try and then trying. he's trying from the Moscow airport. He's trying to find a flight. I think he ideally wants to go to Ecuador. I think that's his ultimate place where he wants to go because they're a friendly country, a non-extradition type country. Um, but while he's on this flight from Hong Kong to Moscow, the United States cancels his passport. It was my understanding. And so what this does is effectively keeps him trapped in the Moscow airport. And I think it was about a month, um, a few weeks at least, he was stuck in the international terminal um, of, uh, in the Moscow airport. And then kind of like the movie The Terminal, if you've seen that. Um, and I don't know any of the details in terms of what his life was like there. I'm sure he was being visited by the, what, what the FSB and other Russian security agents, et cetera. Um, but ultimately, after about a month, um, Russia gives him gives him a visa to, uh, to essentially kind of like a refugee visa or something like that that allows him to stay in Moscow. And that was ex and after the first year, I believe it was extended for five years. And so and then I think it just got extended again a year or two ago. So ultimately, it seems like he's in moscow for the foreseeable future and let and i think the only way he ever leaves russia is if either a he's pardoned um if there can be a pardon before charges are filed or the united states trades for him they have some sort of russian asset that they trade and bring bring snowden back to face trial um i don't think there's any other scenarios by which he leaves russia so ultimately with what he leaked 
um, was that like I'm just reading he's he was mm-hmm. predicting that the government would launch an investigation saying he had broken espionage act and helped out mm-hmm. our enemies do you believe that's what he did oh 100 yeah I mean so there's a couple of things right is one simply taking top secret documents and leaking them to the media is effectively giving them to adversaries in the United States right I mean that that's inarguable it's not like it's not like Putin or um, the Chinese government or um, the French government or the Canadian government doesn't read the news, right? So all the things that he leaked about NSA capability is now in the hands of um, various government entities. So, and, and, and any foreign government, whether they're allies or not, are gonna kind of eat that stuff up, right? That gives them more insight into, from a geopolitical standpoint, into what the United States' capabilities are, their plans, their intentions, et cetera, right? So, so that's inarguable, in my opinion. The other thing is, and this is more circumstantial, right? But I can't, I can't imagine any scenario but uh, that in, in which he didn't go to, he, go, he ends up going to Russia, but not giving the Russian intelligence all the information he stole. He's only released, reportedly anyway, he's only released a, a relatively small percentage out to the media or it's been published of everything he stole. But I can't imagine a scenario by which he didn't give Putin or at least Russian intelligence everything he had. Just simply as a price of admission, right? Like, like I, I, what I do in my mind, right, logically, is I kind of flip this, flip the script a little bit of um, does if I were if I if a Russian asset, a Russian Snowden fled to the United States and said, hey, I need you to protect me from my government. Um, and I have all this intelligence that I stole. The CIA is probably not going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, no worries, man. We'll, we'll put you up in a house in Montana. Let, live a good life. We'll, we'll give you an alternative identity so the Russian intel can't find you. You know, you're good, right? Now, the, 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 what's going to happen most likely is he's likely going to um, – be put up in a hotel in Alexandria, Virginia or something. And his roommates going to probably going to be some sort of CIA agent or something. And his price of admission is all the Intel he took from Russian in- intelligence, right? He's going to have to give that over. Like, we'll protect you. We'll, we'll keep, we'll, we'll keep you safe, but you're going to give us everything you took from Russia. Right. And I can't imagine any scenario by which that didn't happen in China. Now, again, it's circumstantial. Um, but to me, that, that's the only logical outcome by it. So I, I think, again, when ultimately, when uh, if, if he ever does come to the U.S. and he, he's going to have to go on trial, it will then come down to what was it that he took um, and and did his stated motivations, right? Like, of I'm, I'm here, kind of what Snowden's motivation or what he stated was, I am observing the United States conducting an injustice among the, uh, upon the American people by spying on them. Right. And therefore, and I need to reveal that to the world. And that was what his motivation was, that the problem that Snowden faces, in my opinion, is if he had done this, but only released details or data of domestic surveillance and lawbreaking on the part of the United States government, I think he'd have a very strong rationale for being pardoned and not be or, or, or being found not guilty or whatever it is, if he ever came back. But the biggest problem I think Snowden has is that 95% plus, almost almost everything that was published out in the media had nothing to do with domestic surveillance and domestic collection. It was um, legitimate and legal foreign intelligence capability 
focused on operations, capabilities, targets, whatever it may be, from a foreign intelligence standpoint, things that are well within NSA's charter. Had Snowden not released those things, I think I, I certainly would be a lot more, um, I don't want to say supportive, but understanding, I guess. I'd probably be a lot more understanding of what he did. Um, and I think most people who kind of view him the way I do would probably feel somewhat similar. Um, but I, I think ultimately that's what I can't get past is that he did incredible damage to U.S. intelligence and, and national security and cost the taxpayers billions and billions of dollars to have to redo all like, re and reconstruct our, our, our national security uh, infrastructure. Right. Um, when mo and yet most of what he released out had nothing to do with what his stated motivation was. And so that's why I think he unequivocally violated the Espionage Act and um, will ult would ultimately be found guilty in any sort of fair and impartial jury. That's just my opinion, but I could be wrong on that. Where do you think like this, this inside of him feeling like he needed to be some vigilant to mm -hmm. go, you know, curse America? I mean, where do you think all that that came from? Do you, do you think that was like, what was his upbringing to? Yeah, because we, we do hear, we see those people out there, you yeah. know, you see, you see people that think, you know, exactly what he did. But did you see right. any, did so, you pick any of that up from him? No, I mean, that goes back to the kind of arrogance and, and I would later observe as narcissism, right? He's a narcissist. Um, in my opinion, Ed, uh, from what I can tell is a guy that, you know, he sees this injustice being done over here. And he views it as himself as, I am so egregious by this. I'm so disturbed by it. Something has to be done. And I can't trust anyone else to do it. So I have to take it. I have to take matters into my own hands. I'm the one that has to do it, right? And one thing I want to clarify just from a statement you made, I don't think Ed hates America or the United States at all. I think he loves the United States. I think he loves his country generally. Um, I think he was misguided. I think, his, I, I think he was probably manipulated to some extent. Um, but I don't think it was done out of a hatred of the U.S. I think it was done of a of a love of I, I think if a stated rationale is real when I do question it to some extent, I think Ed um, loved his country, but he loved privacy and his freedoms and liberties more. Right. And I, I think that's generally what drove him. Now, I, I have suspicions that um, he was influenced by outside parties. Right. There's some evidence out there that he was involved with the group anonymous as early as I think 2004, 2005 online. He, he made it clear, told me that he was involved with um, working groups on Internet anonymization like Tor, which probably introduced him to other very privacy like minded people. In fact, various books that have come out about Snowden since then documented um, various uh, privacy parties or socials or conferences that he attended, et cetera, which put him in touch with people within this kind of anonymous group. Um, I think it's quite reasonable to to believe that while he was interacting with these folks, he may have let let word out that, hey, well, kind of, I work at NSA or I work in this field, and somebody picked up on that and then kind of pushed him subtly, un perhaps unwitting to him, to push him to do what he ultimately did. And I think that's probably pretty likely. I'm not sure he was 100% a altruistic and b worked a completely on, on a, um, completely alone on this prior to contacting the reporters that he ended up working with. And I think that's probably really how I should have rephrased it. I didn't mean to say he hated America. I think it was probably the government. Right. And, and right. so, where where was he originally from? Like he. he 
Where yeah, he's from Maryland, uh, Central Maryland, you know, kind of an area with a lot of intelligence, a lot of technology, a lot of military, right? I, I can't remember if his dad was associated with the agency or not. I think he was, but I'm not 100% on that. But how does the NSA, so he was working for Booz Allen and Booz Allen was contracting for the NSA. If he, yep. if, if, was he involved in radical groups? Is that what you're saying? I mean, how, how would somebody with no, the security... <laughs> If he was involved with Anonymous, and again, there is some evidence out there that he was, um, it was it was probably well well hidden and well unknown, right? Like he he wouldn't have been you know, people who were really into privacy. I mean, you can tell from seeing the um, interviews that Snowden did and stuff that he's kind of paranoid, right? And he was hyper sensitive to those things. Um, so it, it's likely when he was involved with in these groups, no one had any idea who Edward Snowden was, right? They didn't know his name. They probably didn't even know his face. I mean, the whole idea on these internet forums is anonymization. And so um, I can't remember what his username was. It was in, in the Epstein book that I read. Um, but he had a he had an online persona that was his, um, I guess, well, persona, username, and whatnot, in which he would interact with all these folks. But nobody knew, tied the name Edward Snowden to it. And there probably was, and if, if U.S. intelligence were monitoring any of those groups, which they may or may not have, I have no idea. Um, there probably wasn't a huge, there obviously wasn't a huge investigation to try to sniff out, okay, who's the person, real person behind this, right? So it would have been fairly easy for him to create an alternative persona online that was completely disconnected from his real persona and would never have come out in a background check or a, a um, <laughs> or a, even a lie detector. I mean, there's ways around that um, it, and, and the whole security clearance process. So do you think with, you know, I definitely don't want to go into politics, but there's been a lot that's happened over the past year, you know, with yeah. certain platforms and, and he, he, from the content that I read, he talks about it was a matter of principle and he mm -hmm. could have gotten rich by selling this stuff to foreign countries, but he didn't. So what do you think with everything that's happened with our social media platforms and the right of privacy, um, with Twitter and some of these other groups, right. do you, do you feel like, do you feel like that he opened any kind of doors for people? Yeah, to start? he did. I think it was a positive door in that regard, right? Like uh, here's the thing, right? I may not, because of my experience with Snowden, I don't have like the greatest personal opinion of him, but anybody who's intellectually honest has to be able to look at the situation as a whole, as much as possible. And I admit my own biases, right? Like I, I've clearly been personally affected by it. But um, one of the like I in my mind, kind of again trying to avoid any any uh, divisive politics, but security and freedom are somewhat diametrically opposed. I mean, you go too far one way or the other, you lose both, right? But um, the more secure you are, the less liberty or freedom you have, and the more free you are, the less uh, the less security you might have. And, and and heck, that directly applies to this massive divide in our country today, just even around the vaccine, right? And we're not going to dive into any of that. But but that's essentially the roots of what this big divide is, is I, I want to have my freedoms to choose over here. You And the government says, no, I you, you, you the country is at risk. We need to have security as well, right? So we're trying to, in a very hostile way, we're trying to find this middle ground that kind of works for everybody. Um, from a security versus liberty and freedom standpoint, right? And and I think in today's environment, I think uh, 
it, it's it, it's become too personal it's become too heated I, ne- I don't know if we'll ever find that happy that happy ground which is frustrating to me who i kind of sit in between and can see both sides of it but similarly with snowden right i for me i very much value my privacy it, despite having a public persona to some extent and doing these interviews and being publicly out there with my relationship with snowden um, i also don't want companies or the government breathing down my neck about everything and, and being able to know everything about me i mean my if i would i'm willing to live with the risk of a terrorist attack to preserve my freedoms than i am to lock down my freedoms to make sure there's never ever a tor- terrorist attack again right like that's I'd, I'd rather have my freedoms and live with risk um and that's my personal opinion and everybody in the u.s is on this scale somewhere one, one point or the other and so what snowden did very positive was he raised to all of our attention the importance of privacy and the importance of protection from the government and it took, and so all of us kind of got pretty quick into, yes, we got to protect ourselves from government, government eyes, et cetera, et cetera. And it took us a few years to really understand that maybe we should be more concerned about the Facebooks and the Amazons mm-hmm. and the Googles of the world, right? Like I've always said, it's kind of like, I'm not a huge defender of the government in this space because I, <laughs> like, I've, I'm not a huge fan of DHS and the FBI and because they're kind of domestic and I do want to keep my privacy private and that sort of thing. But in our culture, to me, I'm almost more afraid of the big companies who are getting my data because they have a vested interest in me, right? The more they know about me, the more money they make and the more information they get. Whereas the U.S. government, in my opinion, they don't really care about most of us, right? Like, aside from making sure that we're not doing anything terroristic or any major problems. But for the most part, you're just an average Joe. Um, no one's going to care. And so the government doesn't have a vested interest in us. And so um i'm concerned about the government and i don't want government having because i think we've seen from various countries across the globe government overreach and lack of privacy causes major problems for us but we uh, snowden also helped lead us into this place where we can also have to be concerned about what data are all these companies gathering from us and to me that was a very positive thing right i don't think snowden's the cause of this division among us at all or had any impact on that aside from just raising our awareness in that regard well, it would definitely be, and maybe he has had views on it, but his insight on big tech, I, I would love. I, yeah. I wonder what he's saying about that, because it kind of goes hand in hand with what he was saying about the government. But he did give up his life for his principle, and was that worth it? You know? Yeah, and that's for him to decide, right? I mean, I don't think... I don't think him being all like, oh, well, I could have made millions of dollars off it. Yeah, you could have made millions of dollars off it and ended up like Robert Hansen locked in that max security prison in Colorado or wherever it is, right? I mean, it's only you're going to get caught at some point if you were to start selling this stuff. I'm not going to give him a pat on the back just because he leaked it out to the press. I mean, it's ultimately the same thing. It's the same outcome. Whether the whether a foreign adversary government, A, gets it from a from a spy nobody knows about and is leaking them information cold war era days or whether they get that same information from somebody leaking it to the press and the press publishing it and then him coming out to the world saying hey look what i did they still got the data one way or the other right it's still top secret information that was legal for the u.s to have to do to conduct um regardless so in my mind i, I, I mean the altruism is great but you know, the ends don't necessarily, the means don't necessarily justify the ends, in my opinion. Now, I have a lot, a lot of people completely disagree with that. A lot of people think the ends do justify, or the means do justify the ends, or the ends justify the means, excuse me, right? And and I understand their point of view on it. It's just my view is, is I, I just don't think it's enough to, to justify what he did and the damage he did. 
Well, I have a question from you, Kelly Cook, one of our listeners out there. Thanks for joining the show. Said, curious what you think about Amazon appointing General Keith Alexander to their board. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's expected. I don't know if there's a really much better answer than that. A lot of these huge companies are going to want people who are very, very well connected in government, whether it's lobbyists or um, just for the, the network and the connections, right? Um, I guess my opinion after that is, I guess it kind of is what it is. Um, I don't think it. I don't think General Alexander's there to teach Amazon how to spy on their customers to get more data and information. Um, maybe, and that would that would bother me if that were the case. I think they brought General Alexander on the board because um, he's extremely well connected and uh, and has a network to be able to add value to Amazon. Hmm, that is definitely a debatable question right there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. And, you know, then it, when you go back to what Snowden did, isn't, I mean, isn't there, we all know, I mean, we watch TV shows. We don't really know what the right. government's doing because we don't work for the government. You did. Right. Well, I worked for the Navy. I was in the Navy. That's about it. But I was not in, <clears throat> you know, I was not yeah. in Intel. So, but, but. Shouldn't we be happy that, I mean, I am happy that we do have a government and an NSA that is, you know, that they do have intel and they are protecting us. And even though they probably are in more business than we want them to, they do catch things that happen before, you know, we have yeah. catastrophes happening. So Yeah, this goes back to that kind of freedom versus security dichotomy, right? Which is, I think, I think most people, I have met some people that think all intelligence should be done away with. And we do have no need for CIA or NSA and that they're cancer on society. And, and I, I, that, I reject that outright. But um, at the same time, I also reject outright the, the people who are very much, we need to give NSA and CIA carte blanche authority to go out and spy and, and protect America at all costs from terrorists, right? I reject that too. Um, and there aren't many uh, people on either side. I think most people agree that, that conceptually the intelligence community is there for a valuable purpose and an important purpose and is an important element of our national security apparatus and keeping our freedoms in place and those sorts of things. That, that I think, I think we're, for most people, I think where that debate is, is where is that line, right? Where, what is the appropriate amount of authority an organization like NSA should have versus FBI? And even what should FBI have versus not having it at all? And one, ensuring that, yes, you can provide adequate security for our country and protect U.S. national interests of various parts and, and you could you could have two days of conversations about really what what is the right interest the u.s should have and what does that even mean right but what is ensuring that we're doing that but yet at the same time valuing and maintaining the privacy and security of, of we as individuals right we are a very individualistic society and and we value our privacy and um so it's great that there's those groups out there that are out there protecting america but i what i don't want them doing is protecting our government from us Right. That's that's the line that they can't cross is protecting their government. Uh, to me, our country is great. Not, uh, you know, it's great. The government helps with that bureaucracy, but it's great because of who we are as a people. It's great because of our values and the freedoms that we love. And the government, to some extent, is there to help maintain that. But, you know, it's a government of the people, not over the people. Right. Or government for the people. And we, we need to be there to kind of check that. And uh, and so, again, NSA plays a great role and CIA plays an important role. It's just, where's that dividing line between, okay, what is appropriate for them to do and what's not? 
and and that's where it's really hard to find common ground. And I don't really have an opinion on one side or the other, but I do have to say that just like cybersecurity, we hear all the times about the mistakes and the bad things that happen and the breaches and the hacks, but we don't hear that much about all the great things that are happening because news is news, bad, bad things make news. So, so what are the things with the NSA and the CIA? You know, we don't hear about all the things that could have happened that they stopped. So it's just, again, you know, it's just that fine line of, I don't know, I I feel, I feel like we're in a protected country and mm-hmm. that, that gives me a sense of peace with my children and their yeah. children. So, so I don't know, everybody has their stance of what they feel or, you know. Right. Well, that, that's, I guess that's what the frustrating thing about being a cybersecurity professional or in, in, in the intel field, right, is at some point you're, you're going to be in trouble about something because you're going to do something wrong, right? On the one hand, um, you, you, there's a circumstance where um, uh, people get up in arms about overreach from NSA or from CIA and kind of like in the whole snow scenario, right? People were up in arms about it. And, and <laughs> to, to the extent that what Snowden said was true, and I debate a lot of that, um, Right, justifiably so. But then you turn around and you have the Boston bombing or the San Bernardino terrorist attack, right, many years ago. And all of a sudden, it's an intelligence failure and how dare the intelligence community not catch it and there's something wrong. Well, it, it kind of can't go both ways. I know we can't, we do need to have important expectations, but, you know, you're, you're tying intel- the intelligence community's hand behind their back on the one hand and then beating them with it when... Uh, when there's a failure because you tied their hand behind their back, right? So again, that goes back to me saying, I'm I'm willing to live with the risk of a terrorist attack or those sorts of things to ensure my privacy. But I find it disingenuous when we get up in arms about um, an NSA failure versus, and then at the same time, criticize them when NSA does too much, right? I mean, we got to find that happy medium. And and again, we got to find that medium. Um, So our, our, and just to wrap that thought up, I can't remember which movie it's from, but essentially they said, you know, our our failures are known, our successes are not. And that's the way the intelligence community likes it. If they're, they don't, even when they're successful, they don't like to advertise it because that gives foreign nations insight into what our capabilities are. That's why we have the phrase, like, we can neither confirm nor deny. And so uh, I, I kind of scoff when I've seen people online on various online forums saying NSA didn't find any terrorists and they use these programs, they didn't do any value and they didn't do anything. And just, I just smile and nod and say, you know what, I can't tell you and one way or the other. And, uh, but in my mind, they were valuable programs. Uh, I have another comment from one of our listeners, uh, Don Holly. Thanks for being here today. Excellent and unique insights on Snowden, his mindset and motivation. Steve, do you feel the incident he has made insider threats more likely by, by inspiring like-minded others or less likely through enhanced vigilance? So um, I think he ultimately made them more likely to some extent. I don't know so much about in the corporate world, um, but certainly at NSA, right? So shortly after, somewhat after Snowden happened, you had a couple more incidents that occurred. You had one in particular that I think ties directly to Snowden was this woman named Reality Winner, who was a military person out of working at NSA Georgia. And she apparently faxed a copy of a report about Russian meddling in the election, I think it was, my facts are correct, to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It was one document and they published an article about it. Well, um, ultimately what happened to her is she got caught, uh, they traced it back to her, 
and she um, ultimately got um, charged with some sort of espionage and I think was put in prison for four or five years, maybe 10 years. I can't remember all the details of it. So forgive my ignorance on that, but got prosecuted for it. Right. And then shortly thereafter, um, a man named Harold Martin uh, was caught with, for, with many, many um, software programs, malware, et cetera, that had been developed in NSA that were in his house. Right. It turns out, I think the story is that he was just a hoarder. Um, I'm not sure that either of those two would have, certainly reality winner would have happened without Snowden. I think there are a lot of people who are very, very observant and sensitive, or I guess empowered by what Snowden did and said, well, wait, Snowden is viewed as a hero for doing all of this. And he let us know when something was being hidden or not being done, and he didn't have any sort of negative things happen to him. Um, and so I think that's what drove her to execute to do what she did, is she thought maybe she'd get a slap on the wrist because what she was revealing was worthwhile. So we're down to <clears throat> three minutes left. If, if going on to is if you saw Edward Snowden, is there anything that you would say to him now since you haven't seen him since he left for medical? Well, I was a lot angrier five or six years ago <laughs> than yeah. I am today. Um, you know, I would I wouldn't be thrilled with him. Uh, I'd be pretty upset about it. But, you know, honestly, I would love to be able to sit down and have a conversation and just understand his point of view and, and his motivation and drive and really understand what drove him to do it. So I think there's a lot of things that are beyond what his stated motivation was. I think it would just be fascinating to have a conversation and just understand what drove really what was his, was his motivation really that altruistic thing or was it not? Um, and then understand what he's been doing the last five or six years. Just most I'm a curious guy. Um, you know, I, 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 if, I, so if I had a chance to talk to him again, I just want to learn and hear kind of the real inside story from his perspective. I know he had a girlfriend in Hawaii. Yeah. Did she end up, is she with him now? I know she went out to Moscow and she was living there for a while. I don't know if she's, I think she's still there with him, but I'm not hundred percent. And does he make any, have you seen anything from him in the past few years? Yeah. Yeah. He's done podcasts and he does a lot of speaking engagements. He actually, from what I understand, makes quite a bit of money from speaking engagements. He wrote a book. Um, I think that went out, but I think uh, NSA was, I mean, the U.S. government was claiming all the profit from that. <laughs> There's various legal things justifying them to do that. But, but well, yeah, when, so he's been active. You, when you Google him, there's tons and tons, that, but right. you don't know what's real and what's not. You know, you, so, um, well, thanks again for being here. My Is pleasure. there anything, you know, that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Um, how can people get in touch with you if they have any more sure. questions? Yeah, so feel free if you have any questions or comments, visit my website, stephenbay.com, um, and, uh, and or hop on Kodelsky Security and message them as well. I'm happy to chat with you, discuss insider threats. Um, be vigilant. Insider threats are prevalent. They're real, and they impact all of us. So uh, the, the threat's not going away. So, so take the threat seriously. And Sean Brown, really quick, said they are married. So Okay, we, very so, good. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining another episode of And Security for All. Thank you, Steve Bay, for being here today. That was a wonderful conversation, definitely something different. Um, thanks, everyone. Yeah, you guys have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. <laughs>